Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to Off the Looking Glass. I'm Kate Fagan. I'm Jessica Smetana. Jessica, we have a themed episode today, as we attempt Ooh. to do all of the time in Off the Looking Glass. But I love a theme. Is it like yeah. Halloween themed? Yeah, we're going to do like a six month, a half anniversary for Halloween, which is why I'm wearing my t-shirt costume. Oh, okay. What's your costume? What does it say? It's, it's just a black t-shirt that says golden on it. Basically, I'm a Care Bear. Oh, okay. What are we going to hear today? Well, we're actually, we're going to try to fit a round peg in a square hole. Is that how that goes? A square peg in a round hole? Yes. Yeah. We're struggling. It's the third rail thing. It's not good. Yeah. It's not Halloween? Okay. It's not Halloween, although that would have been really fun. We are in the middle of the Women's College World Series. And this, I mean, softball just blows the TV ratings through the roof. It's so popular. It's so fun to watch. And so we thought on Off the Looking Glass, we would bring our own special celebration to the Women's College World Series with a fully softball episode of Off the Looking Glass. And we have a very special guest, Lauren Chamberlain, who is going to kick things off. We interviewed her for the episode, so stay tuned for that. And for Kate's hype intro, you could get all of her credentials and accolades. And Kate, what else do we have? We have a campfire from former UCLA star Natasha Watley, who will talk to us about what it was like winning the Women's College World Series. So there's going to be some crackling and some sizzling and some cracking of the bat. Did I already say cracking? I did. So there we go. You did. What are some other noises that we could add? Like a some popping of the leather? What happened? Yeah, what like some maybe some wind sounds, you know, yeah. like a ball whooshing through the air. Yeah. It's going to be a crisp summer afternoon here on Off the Looking Glass. Let's get out of the top of this show and let's just get to it. <laughs> it's the opposite of Halloween. Damn it. Our guest today played college softball for the Oklahoma Sooners. She was an All-American and won the 2013 Women's College World Series. Chamberlain deep to left and guard! Lauren Chamberlain wins it for OU! She's the NCAA Division I leader in slugging and was the number one pick for the pride of the National Pro Fast Pitch League. She is currently the commissioner of a new women's pro softball league, the Women's Pro Fast Pitch. All right, let's do it. Let's bring her on, Lauren Chamberlain. In one of the first seasons, Jess actually did a story on the history of softball, like when it first started, going back to the 70s and a court case and all of that. And like, we've been collecting informal data about how many softball players did have baseball in their background. What role did does baseball play in your story? So I didn't actually play baseball. I started just straight off with softball when I was eight. So I skipped the whole T-ball. Like I I was in soccer first. 
But I grew up in Orange County, California. We had the Angels right in the backyard. And I was born in 93 and they were winning in 2000. So right when I started playing softball, I was a big Angels baseball fan. So I would say that organically that had to play a part in it. Yeah. Of just being a fan of the sport and going to the ballpark. I loved that, like the bat ball thing. But I did start just straight with softball and fell in love with it. Oh, and you had, I don't know, I'm going to date myself here, Angel in the Outfield? Dad, when are we going to be a family again? I'd say when the Angels win the pennant. Did you ever? Okay. (laughs) There was just so much involvement. Like my dad played baseball. My mom played softball when she was younger. So I, I just, we were always around that sport. But that Angels era definitely grew my love for the game. Jess, you know Angel in the Outfield, right? Mmm, I haven't seen it. Mmm. You said you thought you saw something at the game. Yeah, angels. Real ones. You believe there's real angels? I knew it sounds crazy. Maybe we'll have to we'll have to watch that. Maybe that's your homework for this week, mm. Jess. Like, yeah. We yeah. can all get together and watch it. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Have you mm-hmm. ever watched The Sandlot? Of course. Okay. okay. Well, I have seen that one. At least you've watched that. <laughs> yeah. I won't say when. At least you have I won't to say when. I forced her to, Lauren. I forced her to watch it like two weeks ago. Did you? Sam yeah. lots of killer. I mean, League of Their Own is still Ugh. just hot. I will watch my fiance's kids. I made them sit down and watch it with me because I'm like, you just have to love that. the greatness. Well, we're, we're yeah, all on the same page with one. that one then. Okay, good. <laughs> you know, one thing when I was... When I was playing women's college basketball and then afterward, one of the things in like the women's sports world you're always talking about is how like women's college basketball somehow just got like marked as like the sport we're going to give resources to, we're going to try to grow. It's like always named. I don't know whether it was subconscious or if they just decided for some Title IX reason. Is that something that other sports and in this case softball like recognized that it was like, why does basketball always seems to be the sport that like we try things out on first and that we like attempt to grow first. I would say, I don't know that we necessarily look at it individually like that or put a ton of emphasis on that part. But what I do know is that anytime I'm looking at like a 30 for 30, it's always basketball, right? Or like I'm looking at some type of like the moments of history in basketball are always captured, which I always thought was so cool. I think the unique part with softball is that it is different enough from baseball that it's not the same thing. It's same concept, but there's so many little integral changes that you can see. So I would say the good part about basketball and women's basketball specifically is there's enough, it's pretty much mirrored same game that you can get a lot of the same support. But I do still, I never say never. I feel like there's still a way for softball and say MLB to work together. And I work with MLB in a youth ambassador role as well. So being the commissioner, I feel like I can, I'm working my way and segueing something so that we can support each other. But I do think that's a natural fit just because it is, it's still a diamond sport. So it makes the most sense. Everybody at ESPN, when I was at ESPN, like, and I think most softball people know this. I'm not sure most like casual sports fans or listeners know like how gangbusters softball ratings are on ESPN. Gets a hold of one. Two-run shot to put the Knowles in front. And anybody who watches it, to your point, Lauren, like they don't have that issue where you can very easily compare women's basketball to men's basketball. Softball is just so different and, you know, so dynamic in all the ways you, you know because of the field and just the way the game is played. Do you get a sense that, like, the powers that be, whoever they are, are positioning themselves to make sure softball does capitalize on those ratings and transfer it to like a successful pro league? 
Yeah. So that's always been like the age old question is how do we continue that brand that college softball, it's a beast. And how do we take that brand and have it go and continually, um, you know, shock the world? I mean, it's like you see the NCAA tournament, which is going on right now, and then continuing towards the Women's College World Series. I mean, those ratings blow out of the water. I mean, it's they almost double the men's and it's never I don't want to compare it and do that, but it really does tell you the numbers and it really gives you that scale of how large women's softball is. But again, when it's provided with the correct resources and reach, that's when we see that there's tender love and care, this is a profitable sport. So uh, while I we are not the NCAA, especially at the pro league, and, and we're building towards that, we're actually in our first official year, which is crazy. And these conversations I have, I'm like, God, we've had pro leagues in the past, but this one is in its very first actual year. Um, and we have a long way to go. But seeing that level of support that NCAA softball has had, it's like, that's our data. That's our product. You see when people pour that level of investment in there, that it's a it's a non-fail sport. It's awesome. What was it like playing in the Women's College World Series? Like, how does that crescendo work from like the regular season up until this grand finale that you're playing in? Uh, Lauren Chamberlain coming up to bat. It is exhausting. I mean, anybody that gets to the finals of anything can just tell you that it's just like your balls to the wall, just freaking out because you're almost there. Oh, I miss those playing days. I do. Being on the other side of it is like, ah, if I could just put the cleats on, everything would be okay. The 30th home run of the season for Chamberlain. She becomes just the second woman in history. But um, definitely that when you're nearing the end, and I was lucky and I got to play at the University of Oklahoma and be on the dominant team. When you get to the end and you know that you're that last team standing, I mean, my God, there's nothing like that feeling. And we did that my sophomore year. And, and anytime you make it back to that promised land, we call it the promised land at the World <laughs> Series at the Hall of Fame Stadium. It's just a testament to how hard you've worked. And it's so fun to talk about that like championship run. The NCAA National Championship Trophy. And what it takes to get to the end with through all sports. It's the same type of feel. It's the same type of commitment. So this new iteration of a professional women's softball league, like what what was learned from previous iterations, both failures and successes that are baked into what you hope is this longstanding future? I think in the past, I mean, it was a 15-year league, NPF, and I played in it. I played for four years in that league. And if you're lasting 15 years, you're not a failure. So there was plenty that we could take. We didn't have to reinvent the wheel. There was a lot of things already in place that we loved. What were some of those things? The structure, you know, there wasn't, we didn't have to recreate a rule book. There weren't policies and procedures. Obviously, my first line of business was to go through and check it all out and say, okay, like, what can we keep? What can we get rid of? But I think the biggest change that I've seen so far is what type of investment are these owners bringing? And can we turn softball, which we see it's clearly a business, there's the reason why it's on TV. Can we translate that over into the pro side and make this a lucrative business for people? Can we give them a green light at some point down the road? You know, and it doesn't take them 20 years to see that green light. How can we do that for these owners? So when you have owners that are willing to invest and invest a lot, when you can put that money down up front, you can see that return quicker. So I like the idea of mashing that passion for the sport, but then also mashing that deep pocket. And I'm not afraid to say it. It's like we need more resources. That's yeah. just that's what it is. Yeah. Like one thing people in the in the WNBA would always talk about is for so many years, owners would have like money, but not like money, money, right? Like they're mm -hmm. millionaires. But every time you look at sports owners, like you're talking more like yacht money. You're not. Yeah. You're not yeah. talking like, oh, like I made a million here and there, which is great. But like those pockets empty really quickly and yes. needing that like level of capital where you're not counting pennies in the first couple of years. Like you, you can't have that be your existence, right? 
Yes. And that's, I mean, it even still proves difficult where it's, you can't pick and choose either on what you're spending and you have to, you know, place priority on the production of things. That's the most important to me or where you're playing. That's most important to me. Or how about what your players are experiencing? How about that level of player standard that they have to experience to put the best product on the field to get on TV? I mean, there's so many like conversations that you can have about why you can't count your pennies. And that's a learning process for everybody because you see the franchise tag fee and you see all these, you know, fees coming in. Well, now what after that? And it's like, yeah, you got to operate your team at a really high level here. If you want to consider yourself a professional sport, this is what a professional sport does. So, and to get there, you have to do it first. That's the hard part is you got to have that level of commitment with these folks. It's just saying like, I have to get the, I, I understand the landscape enough to know that I have to put in to get back. And you do, you have to have a lot of money for that. So obviously the league I would know the most about would be the WNBA and then like sure. NWSL. And then hockey has always been an interesting case study because they've also had leagues. They just had many leagues over the last few years. What has the process been like in trying to learn from the women's sports world or like what the U.S. women's national team has done? Like not all these things are one-to-one comparisons, but what other leagues do you think you've been able to learn from? Yeah. And that's a great point because I think sometimes when you're in your own little world and our sports worlds can get really, they're big, but they're small. You can get stuck in your little space. One of my biggest things when I got named commissioner is, okay, who can I learn from that I haven't already? And who could not necessarily help me in this office, but whose office can I go learn from? And the biggest one for me has been the NWSL. They seem to get the hurdles before we do. So learning, you know, how are they handling certain situations? But then also connecting with like, I've been, before I got named commissioner, Angel City and and seeing them get off the ground. Julie Ehrman's amazing. I've connected with her on some panels. We spoke at the Anaheim Ducks thing this past year and I we text. I'm like, hey, how does this work in your league? What is your perspective as a president? And what would your owners think about this? And I like getting that perspective because if I ask my owners in my league, of course, they're going to say no. But if I ask someone else, when I go, hey, look, this is our structure. What's your structure? How can we mimic something that has been successful? And you have a good relationship with your owners. That's what I want to build. So it has been nice, like you said, to kind of branch out and get away from maybe the sport of softball and learn from people that have been around the block or two. It's like, what did your media rights deal look like? Like, what? How yeah. can I prepare as we get towards that? So I love you know, when you get into women's sports, it's like if you if you ask the right questions and you just naturally and organically form relationships with these people, we want to all help each other yep. and we want to see each other succeed. I think to be in women's sports and especially professional women's sports, you want to see others succeed. We all got to make it. Is that something that you think is unique to women's sports? Because obviously, like there's this competition for eyeballs among all of these like entertainment properties. But in women's sports, like I wonder if there is a unique attitude of like a rising tide lifts all boats. And if one league can be successful, then all leagues can be successful if we follow the same model. Do you feel that that is is something that you've experienced with this? I think there's definitely like anywhere, there's certain people that want that. I, yeah. I think like anywhere, there's certain people that have made that their stance. And Name I them. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Name the people who haven't made it their stance. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. You're like, let's get hot and heavy right now. Yeah. We'll need an hour. No, I'm just kidding. I do think that there are enough people that really do want to help in this because, you know, I've seen it in sponsorships as well, where it's like, okay, I don't feel that if say Deloitte or another company that has supported another league wouldn't come support us. I do think that they see the benefit of doing it with this league and they would want to contribute to another because they've seen just how successful it's been. I think one thing about women's sports and our fans is that there's enough money to go around for all of us because there are just such an untapped market 
for women sports fans that we're still figuring out who's a fan. Yeah. So and like whenever I'm somewhere where there's a lot of people in marketing or or advertising, but not necessarily women's sports, and I'll just ask them a question like, well, "What do you think about women's sports?" There's like this large untapped part of the entire market where like 98% of it, they don't even understand the value in women's sports. They haven't like seen the data. They're just like, oh, does it deliver eyeballs? And I'm like, yes, but less, but the eyeballs it delivers. Yes. 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 People get their pockets. The uh, WNBA commercial with Google Pixel that just came out. Someone's at the door. That they were tapping in like this. It was a young player that was on her bed just looking at the WNBA outfits and she was able to like pick them off of Google Pixel and like now she's wearing that jacket, you know, that Asia was wearing. And I just think that's so cool. Like I'm like, that's the market that men's sports can produce, but we just do it in a different way. Like we we just, there's uh, the buying power. I mean, there's so much data that does prove it. And I think you can tell what businesses have gotten on the forefront of that and have put their money where their mouth is. They're like, all right, let's invest and let's see what comes back. And they're happy almost every time. Yeah, like Lauren is to the point where like, I don't really care who has my mortgage, but now I want Ally to have it. Yes. I'm just I'm like, like, is there a way? When, <laughs> here's my buyout clause. Like, yes. yeah, let's, can we transfer that, right? Yeah, no, it's, it's an affinity because we've had, as women's sports fans, and myself included as a fan of women's sports. I mean, I played, but I also have been a fan. And we've had to jump through hoops to see people play. I mean, we've had to, you know, check out 12 different streaming links to find a game. I mean, like our fans are used to buying in, like our fans are used to having to go the extra mile. So when companies understand that and they figure out how to intertwine the two, they'll see that the pockets are just like emptying. I mean, it's like people want to support women's sports. It's also such a, it's a tech savvy group of people that have to figure out how to get to all these different streaming platforms to find what they need. Yeah. Oh my God. They're like webmasters. (laughs) But if you're a Mm -hmm. fan, you know how to navigate. And, internet, yeah, it's sure. people like deep entrenched into like subreddits too and like Discord <laughs> channels and all these different fan communities. Yeah. Which is so cool because when you're starting to see like the integration of tech in women's sports, which is like what I would love to keep exploring. And we're so new and we're growing and, you know, I'm trying to get everybody on the same page as me where it's like there's so much untapped because of what we've asked our fans to do. Like, you know, sports betting. I'm like, that's another one where it's like, let's go. Like, let's move in that market because they've already been doing this in their little corners of the world. It's like there's there's so much that we haven't seen. And that's why it's so promising at the same time. Okay, a slight pivot, because I think you're probably you can provide a wealth of information on this next topic is we've talked about the NWSL and the youth soccer culture for better or for worse, both when it comes to when a World Cup happens, men's side, women's side, and you're like, oh, soccer has a pay-for-play model in a lot of ways, or you just talk about how male coaches are so predominant in soccer. Mm -hmm. And then the basketball culture is different. It's more of like, certainly more of like an AAU travel. I mean, I know travel comes into all of it, but like certainly more predominantly black in the WNBA. And so I have a grasp on certain things. And then I've got like, old friends, but they're not that old, Lauren. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, yeah. they have kids now and they talk and they're in Arizona and they're talking to me about how their kid plays softball and it's like 12 hour practices. And so I guess the big question is like, what is the softball culture down to the youth level? Like how would uh, you describe it? I mean, I was a part of it and just to see what it's turned into has been pretty crazy. It is extremely competitive. It is very rich. You got to have a lot of money, predominantly white. It is a business. I mean, if you could even say that 
you know, NCAA and travel ball are neck and neck with how much of a business it is. It's similar to the the basketball with like the AAU structure where like, say, example, I live in Edmond, Oklahoma. It's just north of Oklahoma City. And there is barely any rec ball here. It is you are a good softball player and you go straight into travel ball or there's no real place for you. So it's very underdeveloped, I would say, at the youth level for rec ball. But you jump straight into a lot of team dues and a lot of softball. I mean, we were at the field every single weekend, sun up to sundown. And especially if you lost, you were playing like eight games on a Sunday. <laughs> Sick. It's enough, honestly, Kate, that I don't know if I would be thrilled if like my future daughter decided to play softball just because of how much it costs and how political it is. And I've gotten on my box about it before and said, hey, like if this doesn't change, like we're we're not doing any favors for softball. But I uh, it is it's its own beast. It's crazy. You're very young yourself. So like you went through this not long ago. Do you feel like there Mm -hmm. is an age in which you can like there should be some sort of cutoff for the amount of competition that you're asking like young people to put themselves through? Yeah. I mean, there's always going to be those people that are like, we will do whatever, whatever it takes to win. But I think when you're having a conditioning coach, a lefty slapper coach, a hitting coach, a defensive coach, and it's like, you're going to a different lesson every night. (laughs) And then you're playing on the weekends and then you're doing team practices. It's just, it's excessive. I mean, when I was 12, I thought I was doing too much and I quit for a year. I was like, Knock look them at you. Yeah, I, I, isn't that crazy? At 12, yeah. I was like, no, we're done. Like, Quitting success story, though. Well, what came after that? Yeah, Jess was like, just, I told my parents, I'm like, I can't do it anymore. Like, the pressure is too much. This is 12 years old. And now we're seeing 12 year olds like on the number one recruiting list, you know, and they're coming out with these rankings when they're like 10. I mean, it just, when I came back, I mean, obviously I was a little too competitive to sit out. But when I decided to come back, I mean, it put me on a trajectory to go. But how many kids are facing that same burnout? I would love to see the people that can start it is NCAA. And I think they already have backed it up, like the recruiting process. I think the earlier they go, at one point, they were getting commitments from like eighth graders. And I'm like, the earlier you guys go, the earlier they start and how crazy it becomes. So I think from a a dominant perspective of NCAA saying, no, we're backing it up. That was the best thing that could have happened. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Do you take any of that knowledge and understanding of what youth softball is like and apply it to what you want this professional league? Jess and I talk a lot on this podcast about like the future of women's sports and like we don't want it to mimic men's sport. We don't want it to like constantly just be chasing a dollar, but that's kind of the stage we're in right now. So like how do you apply your experience and what you know about youth sports to what you want this league to be? I just always, I mean, when they named me to this position, they knew they were getting the player perspective as well. And that's something that I kind of have to like, 
okay, I can acknowledge my player, but then I can also acknowledge the business side of things. Like there's, as a player, you don't see what goes on in the back end and how you do have to make money. So I think I have a unique perspective there, but I am always, always, always fighting for that player. If we're talking about playoffs and championships, like, yes, I know Friday, Saturday, and Sunday will get us more tickets, but giving that one off day is crucially important for our players. Like those are the conversations that we're having where it's like, yes, I know I need to keep your pockets fat, but in the same breath, we need players to play. So it's always an ongoing conversation. I would say as a youth, I knew what I did like and what I didn't like. And I carried that perspective with me through college and even pro. So yeah, I do try to implement that as much as possible. Do you think there's really a world in which MLB will get on board? Yeah. I do. That'd be cool. Oh, it would be huge. I think they do. I think there's a couple more conversations that need to be had and maybe some proof of concept that needs to come from this. I know MLB is huge. And, and when they put their name on something, they want to be proud of it, obviously. So my goal is to put in as best of a position as possible and have WPF just be you know, the premier place that we have a lot of people coming to support. Strike two pitch to Joe. Fastball swung on a miss strike three. Whew. I am out of shape. I'm out of rabbit hole shape, Jess, because <laughs> we haven't been down a rabbit hole in a couple of weeks. So my lungs are burning. Don't we just fall into them, though? Like, have you been climbing down it this whole time? I use it as an opportunity to do like a mini workout. I don't have you just been oh, letting yourself okay. fall down them? Yeah, I, I've just been flailing down the rabbit hole with you. Oh, and, um, you know, the lower altitude, it's like the opposite of high altitude. There's too much air in the lungs. You yeah, know? we're getting the spins, right? Yeah, that's Isn't right. that what happens when you're like underwater? When you're spelunking, uh, which is <laughs> cave diving, I believe, is when you belay yourself into a cave. I've always wondered what that word was. <laughs> Thank you. I just learned this is I've learned a lot today in this episode, and that might be the most important part. Yeah, let's hope that that's what that is. So we're down this rabbit hole because Lauren is the commissioner of Women's Pro Fast Pitch. She's alluded in this interview to certain possible partnerships in the future with Major League Baseball and affiliations with Major League Baseball teams, which is an interesting question to ask ourselves, which is like the WNBA being affiliated with NBA and NBA teams, is it always good? Is it just a universal positive when women's sports aligns itself with their male counterparts? What do you think? I mean, it's an open-ended question, and I feel like there is a lot of without getting into like specifics of money and like the actual deal and things like that, I think just generally there's probably good things and bad things, right? Because like on the one hand, like, yeah, women's sports, we are all kind of part of this huge growth opportunity right now. So linking up with a massive company that has a lot of infrastructure and ad ideas and all of these other things, network partnerships, those are all positives, right? But then there's the cons of like being looped into something that already exists that isn't necessarily 100% invested and focused in you that can lend itself to, you know, being like second fiddle to a bigger company and, and not really having like the independence to grow in the areas that you need to grow. I hearken back to an extra extra we did, I believe, in the second season of Off the Looking Glass, talking about the American Basketball League, which launched almost contemporaneously with the WNBA, but it wasn't affiliated with the NBA. And the positives of that were like the teams and players weren't looked at like little sisters, as you mentioned, the second fiddle. But the cons of that were they didn't have the financial capital to have the proper runway to succeed in the long run. So 
I guess where I land on it is I believe it is I believe it is a a a net positive at this point. Whew. I have spelunked even further into the rabbit hole because in the days since we went down the rabbit hole and discussed uh, Major League Baseball's potential affiliation with softball, it has been Pride Month, and Major League Baseball has made some headlines because not all of its teams, in fact, 29 of the 30, but not the Texas Rangers, are going to do Pride Night. And there's been other controversies around Major League Baseball sort of tiptoeing away from Pride Night, which... Brings up some issues when it comes to women's sports and how specifically softball, women's basketball, other women's sports have full on engaged with diversity and inclusion in a way that men's sports hasn't. So just wanted to leave you with this one thought as well, is that in the media world, in magazines, magazines always prided themselves the very best magazines on being able to look back at who they put on the cover and feel that they were ahead of their time and that in many ways they were predicting where the culture was going. And I always loved that about magazines, that they weren't reacting to the past, but that they were trying to be one step ahead and being a part of the future. And when you look at what's happening with Major League Baseball right now or with Target, if you followed that, or the Bud Light controversy over using a, a trans ambassador. A lot of that feels like reacting to the past as opposed to looking toward the future. So we're I'm now going to anti-spelunk out of this second layer of rabbit hole back up to Jess, and we will continue this conversation. I believe it is a net positive at this point in softball's iteration, although I wish there was a world in which the capital being brought to the table was so robust that it could sustain losses as a league grows. But that's very rarely the case in a women's pro league. And so you need that kind of like male partnership to help get you through the rough times. Yeah. And baseball and softball being linked together, as we talked about in season one of Off the Looking Glass, is always so interesting because the origins of the sports being, I mean, they're different sports, right? Like the origins of that are just rooted in this like, misogynist sexist like women can't play baseball ideology that it's impossible to acknowledge where we are at presently without acknowledging how this all began and so i think that yeah like it's interesting if we lived in a perfect utopian off the looking glass multiverse society Mm. that you and i have invented none of these leagues would need that support or help or whatever you want to call it but at the end of the day, we do. So maybe there's some lessons that are good and some that maybe would be better off without. But do I want a New York Lady Mets jersey? (laughs) Maybe not, but I couldn't come up with a better name for the uh, New York team than the Lady Mets. The Metropolitanas? The Mrs. Mets. (laughs) We'll have a big mascot with like a Minnie Mouse head and she'll be Mrs. Met. Mrs. Matt exists, and she is a fine lady. (laughs) My bad, Mrs. Matt. Let's go back (laughs) up before I embarrass myself further. Let's um, anti-spelunk out of this thing. (laughs) Do you ever sometimes be like, okay, look at the product at the college level right now. Look at the ratings. Look at this game. Everybody who watches it loves it. Like, what's going on? Yeah. Yeah, like, that's kind of how I feel about softball is like... (laughs) This seems like a machine that should have taken off. (laughs) 
Trust me. Again, it goes back to like getting those quality owners in that are willing to invest just like the college programs, like for years invested in NCAA invested, invested, invested to get this going. But yeah, hundred percent all the time. But what I can tell you, good news is our inquiries for team ownership. I mean, I'm seeing like 10 a day. It's wild. We just had our draft, our college draft and on draft day, I think we got 25 potential owner inquiries. And I would say out of, say you're getting 10 a day, there's probably five that are good candidates for it. And that type of production is really promising. So we're really excited. Like we're, we're really close to getting our fifth team established. And then we're going to keep growing from there. So me, I'm like, let's, it can be slow, but it's steady. And I want to get the right owners in there. So we're not having like come two years from now, you get a BS owner that's on his way out after just coming in. So I'm like, I'd rather get quality and do it the right way. Um, but it is promising. I can't say that. Okay. Last one I have, and then I don't know if Jess has one. Is there, this is the most inside baseball, very unusual last question, but like in basketball, the thing that was actually like sneaky, hard to learn was like using your inside pivot foot when you were like coming around for a jump shot. What in softball for you was like the small thing that was hard for you to learn, but that like when you mastered it really accelerated your game? Was there something? I love this question. Yeah. And so I was a hitter. Like I say, they're like, what position do you play? I'm like hitting. I was a hitter. Yeah. And the biggest thing for me was my hips. Like if you're saying, say you're a hitter, okay, your top half and your bottom half have to move at separate times. Like you would think when you're swinging, everything moves together. Yeah. If you hitch your hips just a little sooner, like if you start to turn your hips just a little sooner than your upper half, you're in good shape. So I would say the average person would be like, oh, like I think it all moves together. I'm telling you hips first and you're good. Hmm. So, and you had to like a, a million times, just like work a million that. million times. Got it. Separator drill. Like I would keep my upper half this way and turn my other one that way. You can't see it. I'm not going to show you. There's a golf <laughs> drill that's like that too. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, when you unlock your hips, I mean, as even before I took this as a hitting instructor and I'm always like tapping into the youth on that is like, use your hips and you will unlock this like total power you never knew you had. So if you guys are ever out on the field and, and playing around hips. Hips. I have no hand-eye coordination, so I've never picked up a <laughs> softball bat in my life. Really? If someone were robbing me and my only weapon was a bat, like I would miss probably. <laughs> okay. Just I we'll love work you. On it. We'll connect. We'll connect. <laughs> okay, please we'll give me you. lessons. <laughs> A great use of Lauren's time. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thank you so much. That was great. Lauren, thank you. I think we nailed it. That was awesome, guys. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. You got it. Thinking about the day we won the national championship and what that day was like, I can remember it like yesterday. We at UCLA, my class, at the time, we were going to be the first class to go through UCLA to not win a national championship. So talk about the amount of pressure that we had this particular class. There were four of us, four seniors that year. Mind you, our road to getting to that point was super crazy. And talk about amazing talent. The years prior, we had so much talent on our team, but we just could not get it done. And so that senior year, like literally was a roller coaster. So the first game of the World Series, we get beat by Cal, have to come through the loser's bracket. 
We beat Kat Osterman two times. Kat Osterman is all everything. Like, how do you beat her once? But we beat her twice. So like this miraculous, like crazy game. I will say that I had the game time hit and scored the winning run the night before. So we're coming off this huge high, but now we still have this championship game. And so that day, it just was like this calm. It was almost too calm. And it was like this feeling that you just know you're going to win. And we've just had been through so much, like there was no way that we were going to lose. And so Kira Garrell was our pitcher that year. She pitched the first no hitter in women's college world series history. Still to this day, she still has that. There's never been a no hitter in the championship game. Every single defender touched the ball that day. So everybody made outs and that's just an amazing when you have a pitcher throwing a no hitter more times than not, maybe she's striking out majority of the people, but we're making plays behind her. And so I think that that's what made that so special. And so for myself and my other three seniors, like we just knew this is it. <laughs> There's like no other chance. There's no other opportunity. Literally everything was on the line and it felt like that, but it was amazing that it felt very calm because we were just so committed and so bought in. And that year we just were so connected and, but we had so many ups and downs. That last out at the Women's College World Series, Stephanie Ramos, our center fielder, makes a catch. It's just a simple fly ball. But prior to that, before getting to the Women's College World Series, we practiced how to dogpile. So we we're just like, we're going to practice every aspect of this game. Like if we're going to be championships, we're going to practice how we're going to celebrate. So we practice how we're going to dogpile, who's going to hug who first. And literally like it went down that way. You know, Kira said that I'm going to hug my catcher first, which she did. We just all celebrate. We dogpile and that's it. I, re you know, remember that moment and just one of the like most uh, amazing days of my athletic career. Well, well, well. I'm a little sad that we did all of this like softball slash Halloween themed episode, mm -hmm. but the Women's College World Series now coming to a close because this has just made me want to watch more softball. Mm -hmm. But maybe, Kate, we should join a softball league this summer. You would be willing to join a softball league? I always thought our first foray into recreational sports was going to be pickleball. Pickleball? Yeah, but yeah. No, I would join. So did you grow up playing softball? No, I played baseball. I tried softball for one year and I wasn't right. as good okay. at it. Okay, okay. Yeah, we've discussed this before. I Yeah, I'm really bad at hand-eye coordination. Okay. So maybe not. But there is this thing that I, in Chicago, it's a variation on softball that like a lot of the summer league softball teams will play. It's called 16-inch softball. Oh. And it's like a humongous softball. And it's basically like, like a kickball with a bat. Okay. And I feel like the ball would be big enough that I could play 16-inch softball. But if you want to join a league, I mean, call me. Yeah, I mean, you could also be the mascot and we could call you um, Mrs. Jess. <laughs> <laughs> I like that okay. idea, actually. Wait, but back to this. I don't know. I don't think I'd be a good mascot, though. Is the ball rubber like a kickball or does it maintain its uh, No, it's density? like it's a softball, but it's like a big softball. Oh, okay. Yeah. And I actually didn't know it was a Chicago thing exclusively until a couple months ago. And my boyfriend's like, yeah, I've never heard of that. So I Googled it and I found the wiki page and I was like, huh, this is mainly a Chicago thing. How interesting. 
softball, wouldn't you know? That would be good because in full disclosure, I do have some fear about when I play baseball or softball, when like a sharp ground ball comes to you, there's just Mm. so many things that can go wrong. And it feels like at least if it's 16 inches, there's more surface area to spread out so I don't get as many bruises on my arms and my shins when I miscalculate. Mm -hmm. Or it's just heavier and it like knocks you out. Or this is sort of hearkening back to me preferring running with the bulls. As well. Yeah, I, this okay. is you're weird. Honestly, I don't. I never know what you're gonna say next, and I'm always kind of thrown off guard. Right, but but totally love it as well. Yeah, obviously, it's what keeps the show interesting. All right, let's tell people who makes this show. I will start us off, Jess. You co-host and co-produce this show. Anya Alvarez produces this show, and she is responsible for this week's campfire. So big thank you to Anya as well. You also co-host and produce the show. Carl Scott is our executive producer, and Joel Shupak is our sound designer and sound engineer. Happy half Halloween, everybody. (laughs) 